There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. So when we, when we um, have this kind of overwhelming... Uh, negativity bias um, over a long period of time it can make us feel anxious and pessimistic and depressed and these feelings linger even when we switch off from the news because we become so well rehearsed at feeling them it can also um, help us develop a feeling of helplessness we see these problems as just being too big to solve and so that leads us to stop trying to you know we become helpless in the face of all this challenge Um, but we can also be motivated not to help because it increases our feelings of contempt and hostility towards other people. Mm-hmm. And another another reason that we're less responsive to help is because it generates a really strong feeling of fear. And this emotion is generated to protect ourselves. And so because we become so self-focused, we actually become less concerned about other people and the problems that they can be facing. And finally, we can stop caring because we just become desensitized. We become so used to hearing about the extreme and the extraordinary that it actually becomes quite normal and ordinary. And so these stories that are supposed to uh, motivate us and anger us actually lose their shock value and, and don't affect us as much. Um, so that's all, the, that's all of the problems associated with this excess of negativity. But when we start to learn about solutions, not by replacing problems, but by adding to our media environment and knowing what's being done about them, it gives people a sense of balance and perspective, and it provides better context. And this balance has been shown to reduce anxiety. Uh, it increases engagement. It improves our mood in the short term and actually shifts our mindset in the long term. Again, because we're practicing these, these tendencies. Um, but it also provides a restorative narrative, which can restore our faith in humanity, and it can improve social cohesion and build resilience. But most importantly, learning about solutions makes us feel more empowered. And as I mentioned before, it leads to something called active coping, where we actually engage with problems rather than avoid or ignore them. And this is primarily because it increases our feelings of hope, optimism and self-empowerment. How you day, how you day. That was the voice of Jody Jackson. In my book, I talk about the need not to perpetuate stereotypes by spreading false narratives and also becoming better fact checkers. How do we become better custodians of our history? How do we ensure that we don't build echo chambers? That's exactly what Jody Jackson is an expert in. She spent years researching the effects of what we actually put into our media diet. And in this book, You Are What You Read, she talks about how to hack 
our consistent media diet that perpetuates false negative narratives. In our conversation, Jody goes through six ways that we can become better with how we consume the media. It's very fascinating how conditioned we become when we're not intentional about what we're putting into our brains, into our eyes, and into all the senses that we use to consume information. Jody is an amazing guest. She's very smart and she knows what she's talking about. I hope that this piques your curiosity and gets you down the rabbit hole of diving into more of our work. All right, enjoy the episode. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of As Told by Nomads, and today's guest is Jody Jackson. Now, Jody is an author, researcher, and campaigner. She holds a master's degree in applied positive psychology from the University of East London, where she investigated and understood the psychological impact of the news. As she discovered evidence of the beneficial effects of solutions-focused news on our well-being, she grew convinced of the need to spread consumer awareness. And she's a regular speaker in media conferences at universities where she shares all her findings. We're here today to talk about her new book, which is You Are What You Read, Why Changing Your Media Diet Can Change the World. Welcome to the show, Jody. Hi, thank you so much for having me. The pleasure is mine. Now, when we were talking before you know we, we hit record I was I was really sharing with you how I, I love the aspect of your book and it's something that, that I, I love talking about as well can you talk to me about why you believe our news needs to be revamped well because in the UK we have a, a very well-known and fairly depressing mantra which is if it bleeds it leads and I know in the US you share the same kind of philosophy behind the news but the problem with this is it means that the news isn't a reflection of everything that goes on. It's in fact a reflection of everything that goes wrong. So the news reports on the most extreme stories of problems, wars, corruptions, murders, uh, famines, and natural disasters, and it magnifies them. And as a consumer, this becomes all that we see because at the same time, it minimizes and often ignores stories of solutions and progress, uh, peace building and development, which yeah. leaves us unaware of their existence. Um, and so we have this really distorted picture of the world where these problems are massively overrepresented and the solutions are hugely underrepresented. And it gives us the impression that the world's broken beyond repair and as if it's in a rapid state of decline. So it gives us a very skewed perspective on the world, which isn't actually that healthy for us um, in terms of how we see the world and how we make decisions within it. Right. And you state that we have a toxic media diet and we need to become more conscious consumers by by basically, you know, changing how we consume media. And it's interesting for me because this straddles the line of of something that I, I call um, uh, the misunderstanding of positive people. So I, I I'm a Nigerian and I grew up in different parts of the world. But even growing up in the way that I did and growing up in different parts of the world, I was always called uh, an idealist. I don't know if you've been called. I think you might have been actually based on my yeah. research. And it would be because, you know, I'd be like, how can you live through such experiences and still come out thinking that there's a positive thing? You're being naive. What are you talking about? The world is this. We are, in, you know, just people that like to start wars and we we cannibalize people. And I've, I've seen that that's a reaction to some of the stuff that I do. I don't know if you've seen that consistently on your stuff as well. A hundred percent for sure. Yeah. You know, when you're, when you're, um, 
painting this kind of idea, people do consider you perhaps naive. And when they call you optimistic, they say it like it's a flaw in an otherwise reasonable person, you know? And it's crazy because, um, you know, I think it was Freud, arguably one of the world's leading psychologists, who said that optimists were in denial of reality. But actually, wow. you know, since since doing a huge wealth of research on this, um, I can wholeheartedly say that that is incorrect. You know, it's not a denial of reality, but it's a refusal to accept reality because of a belief that we can do better. And optimists have actually been shown to better engage with reality, especially a negative one, um, because they exhibit approach tendencies. They're, they're able to move towards the problem, which in psychology is known as active coping, whereas pessimists tend to avoid and shy away from problems. Um, so optimism, you know, for me, it's certainly not a flaw. It's a superpower. No, I agree. And I think I heard of San Minaj, who's um, um, a comedian here who has a show called The Patriot Act, who, who actually his show actually informs and engages uh, people on the world is on Netflix. But it's interesting how a lot of these comedians um, uh, who have a platform are using their platforms to share news. And a lot of people are trying to get the news from them because maybe it, it's a more um, global view of that. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. You know, I, I don't know. I don't know if the culture is like that in the, in the UK, but here we have the daily, the daily show. We have Patriot Act. We have a bunch of political shows that are also comedian, uh, comedian based. I actually love, um, John Oliver last week tonight. Which yes. is, yeah, I do. <laughs> yeah. I do. That's one of my favorite, um, ways to actually get the news for many reasons, but, um, one of them being, he makes it incredibly palatable without taking away the severity of the issue you know just because something um you know engages you and makes you laugh it doesn't actually necessarily take away from the darkness of the issue being presented and i think it's a really well-rounded way to actually present the news yeah no i agree uh and for those listening if you look in there's the the last uh the last last week with john oliver there's the patriot act with samanaj and then there's the daily show with trevor noir but the, the reason I brought that point up is I, I had heard Osama Minaj, one of the, um, the, the, the fellows that I just mentioned, say that he's an angry optimist. And I, I sort of agree with that because <laughs> that's how I am. I think I'm I'm because there are optimists sometimes who who people feel like are just saying things to be positive and they're not actually being active. And I think the, the idea of an active optimist or an angry optimist is, is you are actually trying to find a solution. And I think that plays a role into how some people feel like people being naive or you're just saying you're kumbaya or you're just trying to spread a positive message for being positive sake, but you're not actually doing anything. And that comes from being informed. So, yeah. uh, uh, so in, in your words, you have six ways to change our media diets. Can we dive into those six ways? Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Um, can I just say on that, on that point, which I totally agree with, you know, I yeah. think um, I love the term angry optimist. I've not actually heard it before. But <laughs> for, for me, you know, hope that that for me is what hope is really. It's an angry optimist because hope is a belief that the future can be better than the past. Not that it will be, um, but that it can be. And to have hope, you actually have to be very dissatisfied or um, angry at the current situation that you're in, because that's what creates a fertile ground for improvement. You know, it creates a desire for things to want to be better. So for me, you know, being hopeful, it's like optimism with action. It's its using this anger in something that's transformative and more constructive. So I really, I love that term, but yeah, yeah. hope really captures it quite nicely. 
No, I'm glad you did because I, I heard him say in, in an interview one time, and I was like, that's me. I <laughs> Now anyone that calls me just hopelessly idealistic, I'm just going to say, well, I'm an angry optimist, okay? I have I see something, and I want to do something about it, but that doesn't mean that I'm going to be pessimistic. I'm just going to be using and channeling my anger in, in the right way. Um, wow, okay. Um, all right, so the thing that I love about your book and what you are about is you actually live out what it is to be an angry optimist or an active ally. And that is you have solutions based uh, tips and advice and you have them in six formats. So how is, how are your six ways going to help us, I guess, remix the way we take in the news? Um, Well, the first step is the most important step arguably, which is to become a conscious consumer. Um, So to be a conscious consumer, we have to become aware of the impact that news has on us. It's only by educating ourselves on the impact that enables us to move from kind of being a passive consumer of it to a much more deliberate user of it. Um, and we can learn from industries that have gone through their own kind of, you know, revolution for a more positive purpose, and they have relied on a conscious consumer. So if you look at the food industry, you know, if you look at how acai berries and goji berries and quinoa and kale have moved from the shelves of niche whole food supermarkets to mainstream shelves, it's because people have changed um, their demand, which has created a different supply. And the same could be said of industries like yoga, you know, which was even 20 years ago considered a fairly hippie practice um, and caricatured by someone, I don't know, hugging a tree and wearing sandals. It's now practiced by over 20 million Americans daily because we're aware of the impact that it has on us and the long-term benefits. And this creation of this um, increased demand has created this overwhelming supply. So it's really empowering to know your role as the consumer to bring about change in industries. Um, But to do that, you have to be made aware of the benefits of of making that change. So a lot of my book talks about um, the impacts of the excessive negativity bias on our mental health. And it's really important to note that word excessive, because you're not saying that hearing about problems is bad for you. You're saying that hearing about problems relentlessly without a balanced understanding of what's being done about them over a long period of time is damaging. And so it's really important to get in that detail, because otherwise it can be um, quite easily misunderstood and, and stereotyped, like you kind of mentioned with these words like naive and things like that. Um, so it would actually be a good place to kind of start by actually looking at what those effects are and talking about what happens when we include solutions into our media diet, if you have the time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Because yeah. Uh, this is really at the heart of my research and this is where it all drives from. So when we, when we um, have this kind of overwhelming uh, negativity bias um, over a long period of time, it can make us feel anxious and pessimistic and depressed. And these feelings linger even when we switch off from the news because we become so well rehearsed at feeling them. It can also um, help us develop a feeling of helplessness. We see these problems as just being too big to solve. And so that leads us to stop trying to, you know, we become helpless in the face of all this challenge. Um, But we can also be motivated not to help because it increases our feelings of contempt and hostility towards other people. And another another reason that we're less responsive to help is because it generates a really strong feeling of fear. And this emotion is generated to protect ourselves. And so because we become so self-focused, 
we actually become less concerned about other people and the problems that they can be facing. And finally, we can stop caring because we just become desensitized. We become so used to hearing about the extreme and the extraordinary that it actually becomes quite normal and ordinary. And so these stories that are supposed to uh, motivate us and anger us actually lose their shock value and and don't affect us as much. Um, so that's all the that's all of the problems associated with this excess of negativity. But when we start to learn about solutions, not by replacing problems, but by adding to our media environment and knowing what's being done about them, it gives people a sense of balance and perspective and it provides better context. And this balance has been shown to reduce anxiety. Uh, it increases engagement. It improves our mood in the short term and actually shifts our mindset in the long term. Again, because we're practicing these, these tendencies. Um, but it also provides a restorative narrative, which can restore our faith in humanity and it can improve social cohesion and build resilience. But most importantly, learning about solutions makes us feel more empowered. And as I mentioned before, it leads to something called active coping, where we actually engage with problems rather than avoid or ignore them. And this is primarily because it increases our feelings of hope, optimism and self-empowerment. And so this not only gives us the belief that the future can be better, but it shows us that our actions are able to make a difference and empowers us to, to participate constructively. See, you see, this is why I love what you're doing, because you you have researched back a lot of what you're saying, because, yes, when you talk about the idea of a media con uh, you know, conscious consumer, that's been the case throughout history with any product or service. You know, and a lot of times people are reacting to what the, the consumers are saying if they are not conditioned. And <laughs> and it, it's it's a twofold thing where if we if we have conditioned ourselves, you just talked about it there, we start to become desensitized to all these um, things where we don't actually humanize people and we normalize bad behavior or normalize things that are bad. We, we that comes from a, a series of conditioning that we that has come about from what we've consumed ourselves or what our parents have told us or what schools have told us and what institutions have told us. And then when you have that that uh, uh, sort of programming, you are not going to think that there's a way that you can actually uh, rehack your mind. <laughs> and mm -hmm. so if you don't have that awareness, first of all, you're not going to know that you can actually take back your mind by changing, to use your word, your immediate diet. And then once you change your immediate diet and enough people do that, you have the power to change the institution uh, as, you know, journalism uh, as it is. Because right now, what I know with journalism, especially here in America, is it's very reactive. It's based on clickbait headlines and it's very sensationalized, right? Yeah. Goes, yeah, it goes along with, you know, uh, and I, I consume uh, some reality TV as well, but also reality TV is also based on that. It's where they're going to give you something that gives you shock value. And their argument will be, hey, we're just reacting to what the people want. And I, I think what you're saying, you're saying, well, people, is it really what you want? Or have you been conditioned to believe that this is what you want? And, and that's a tricky, that's a tricky, but interesting and necessary place I think we need to be at or talk about. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, it's not it's not industries or society that changes. It's people that change. Right. And if do it, people do it at the same time, it creates these huge measured shifts in our culture, in our society, in our um, industry. You know, it, it has the power to and we can't underestimate um, how vital each and every one of us are in making that change. But what's really 
um, empowering about changing your media diet is it's not it's not self-sacrificial. You know, these benefits that I talk about that might ripple out into industry or society or even the world. Um, it's of it's of no disservice to yourself to make these changes um, because it's actually improving your own mental health, your own worldview. So making these changes, it's not it's not going to be at your detriment. It's going to be at your benefit. And then, by the way, there's also these other huge things that could happen as a result if enough of us do it. Um, but it's it's more basic than that. You know, this book and my work hopes to to speak to each and every one of us on an individual level. Um, and yes, those actions might ripple outwards, but it's about what you can do this very moment to make changes that improve your personal life. Absolutely. And we're talking to Jody Jackson, the author of the new book, You Are What You Read, Why Changing Your Media Diet Can Change the World. Speaking of changing the world, we talked about the first part, right? You have six ways. Uh, first part is to become a conscious consumer. What's the second part? So the second part is read or watch good quality journalism. Um, so you've just kind of touched on this is that a lot of uh, media is reactive. It's sensationalizing news. It's trying to create clickbait headlines that grab our attention. Um, and, you know, the the kind of incentives that drive that kind of media production aren't necessarily in our best interest and don't necessarily produce um, top quality journalism. So one of the things that I would argue, you know, there's no there's no stamp of approval on what good quality journalism is. But I think we all kind of understand maybe what it's not. And one of the ways that I would um, suggest getting your news would be getting it less often and going more in depth, because I think time is one of the key indicators of good quality journalism, because you're not being as reactive. You are taking time to understand the symptoms of why we've got to where we've got to. And you're perhaps taking a slightly longer term frame on the issue um, to perhaps look at where it is now, you know, recognizing that the initial impact isn't necessarily the end of the story. Um, and it might linger around for long enough to help us understand what's being done about it. So I, I subscribe to a more slower form of journalism as my main method for news, which is one of the reasons why I said John Oliver over the Daily Show, because personally, I don't think you need the news daily. Um, but I think weekly is is much more uh, manageable and and helps you stay informed in a way that doesn't overwhelm you in the same way. Ah, that's an interesting thing. That's an interesting because it, it so John Oliver does it in a weekly format. But what about people that rely on the news for inf information, right? You know, there's the you know I think sometimes there's too much focus on the entertaining, but people require information and engagement. So say you know this happened in my time or I live in New York, for example, and you know, something's going on with the subway or something's going on with the governor policy or there's bad water or all these things. What would you say about those uh, pieces of news or sports? <laughs> <laughs> say, um, there's, there's a really good book that I read recently called the four hour work week by Tim Ferriss. And it, it, what it, what it sort of talks about is is this trade-off between just-in-case information and um, I can't, you know, now that I'm, I'm having an absolute mind blank on it, but he talks about um, kind of information that we need to know or, yeah, no, I've got it. Sorry, sorry to think on the spot like that. It's just-in-case information or just-in-time information. So what you're talking about there is where you have something that's actually relevant to you that you need to know and you need to tune into then that's fine. It's kind of just in time information. You need it for a reason. You're going to it to get something out of it. But this kind of just in case information, 
this kind of approach that we take to the news where we don't necessarily need to know it there and then. Um, but we like to know it just in case we may need to know it. it. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. It fills our mind with so much additional information that isn't necessarily relevant. And it actually um, clouds our mind from being able to distinguish between something that we do need to know that is of use to us right here, right now, and something that may be of use to us in the future, but isn't and doesn't require action. And that's why I, I prefer a kind of slow journalism, because these things that are truly important don't suddenly fall off the news agenda a day after they've been printed. They will stay for longer um, and will probably grow in importance. And so not tuning in every day isn't isn't making yourself naive to, you know, big things that do genuinely affect us. That's something that we've convinced ourselves. Okay, gotcha. Um, all right, all right. The, and the third point? Um, so the third one is to burst your filter bubble. So I think in 2017, Pew Research Center found that 67% of people in the US receive their news through social media. And that's huge considering the fact that social media has been, you know, the algorithms in it create this echo chamber where we're given information that we like um, rather than information that perhaps we disagree with or challenges us to think differently. And so what we do is we kind of perpetuate our worldview um, and we perpetuate existing ideas that we already have and we learn more about them without challenging ourselves to think differently. So something that I like to do is to come offline. I am, um, again, a weekly magazine that I subscribe to, which I think you have in the US is called The Week. And it's a weekly news publication that um, highlights and takes different news stories that have been published during the week that they consider to be the most important issues of that week. Um, and they collate them in a weekly style magazine that takes different angles based on which news organizations publish them. So it's a really good way to see things you wouldn't see um, and think things you wouldn't think. And it's a really good way to, yeah, challenge yourself to step outside of your own vision for the world. I, I love this point so, uh, so much. I was telling you that, you know, it's funny how books came a day apart from each other. And it's broken down into three parts. Educate, don't perpetuate, instead communicate. Now, in the don't perpetuate piece, that's that echo chamber point is exactly what I was talking about. And I was using the framework of the 2016 elections, Brexit, um, Myanmar um, genocide, and a lot of the different things that have happened where social media platforms have been used to influence propaganda <laughs> or, or worldviews. And then obviously, we've, we've, I don't know if you're familiar, we probably are, Cambridge Analytica. 
um, and, and their role. And there's this uh, frightening but also important documentary uh, on Netflix. Ah, I forget what it's called, but it really dives into um, that and how data is basically the most important resource that people are mining. It's not even just oil anymore. And so people are using our data to influence people's opinions. And so I, I, I keep going back to the idea of, of there are so many of us who are actually conditioned to believe to, whether negativity is better or that there's that, you know, you need the news the way we consume it, or you need to be loud, or you need to have a takedown. And mm -hmm. it's interesting with you and your work is I love that you're reminding people that they have more power than they have, regardless of what platforms exist. And if we collectively don't take back the power or decide to burst out of echo chambers, uh, we could then be uh, in a self-perpetuating uh, cycle of negative just consequences. Yeah, absolutely. And the, the documentary I think that you're talking about is The Great Hack. Yes, that's what it is. Yes. <laughs> terrifying. Yeah. And incredibly, um, you know, eye opening. But I think that we all even even if you have a kind of base level of media literacy and social media literacy, I think it's still astonishing the kind of influence that it has on us. And so I think, you know, taking steps to make yourself aware of that and actually rather than just having your mind as an open door, allowing anything in, taking steps to actually find a lock and deciding, you know, what you're going to let in in a more controlled environment and in a more deliberate way so that you're not blindly led by whoever's shouting the loudest and you're actually forging a path path for yourself is a really, really important thing that we can all do. Yeah. And, and I, I would suggest, I don't know if you agree, just intentionally curating our, our news outlets, you know, even if it's yeah. some, yeah, someone, I mean, you just get in different perspectives on certain views. You don't necessarily have to agree with the view in here in America, there's Fox news, which is typically right leaning. And then there's uh, CNN, uh, well, CNN, which claims to be centrist, but some people say it's left. And then there's MSNBC, which is left. Uh, and so it's almost like there's just no, you know, you know, there's no, there's an extreme and the pendulum that swings both ways. And you see this, um, very, very, you know, uh, illuminates during political elections. We're about to enter, you know, some elections here and it's, you know, you can turn on the news and hear one side and everybody riled up on that side. And then you can hear the other thing. And then I wonder as someone who is Nigerian, <laughs> uh, and, and, and Lizzie, I'm like, well, how am I supposed to know which side, which side is not, you know, allowing their bias to, to to influence the whole news here? So I think some people will listen to you and say, well, okay, how can I then burst out of an echo chamber if everything is already an echo chamber? I think um, print is a quite a useful way to to sort of burst out of that online. Or I know what you're saying about it being on television as well. Uh, uh, you're saying print, okay. But but not not necessarily just print. You know, you can find news channels as well that perhaps take a a more centrist opinion. But there's there's also apps you can you can get. There's one called Perspex which takes an issue and it presents it in the most neutral way possible, and then it talks about it from the right wing perspective and the left wing perspective. Um, but I think for me, you know, rather than rather than discussing the political leaning and how to create a balanced understanding of an issue. Um, my the kind of balance that I talk about in my work is is more about problems versus solutions. Ah. You know, it's more about how we can remain informed um, 
in a way that empowers us and doesn't just stop at the problem and actually look at what's being done about it and not kind of in a forced 50-50 split saying, well, here's a problem, where's the solution? Um, but just being open enough to actually um, take solutions seriously, realize their value within the news media landscape um, and and to ourselves as well as consumers and naturally present them in a way that they naturally exist in the world, you know, reflect the world as it is, not just parts of it. Yeah. Um, so I think that there's definitely ways that you can try and create a, a different understanding or join a conversation from those who have a different opinion to you. Um, but my kind of work, I suppose, is is bigger than that in terms of it shaking up the very core of what the news is, which is um, reporting on failures. And although I I see the value in it and it's hugely important to, um, you know, expose problems because without understanding them, we're not in a position to be able to confront and correct them. That's fair. So That's it, fair. it is important, but it's, you know, just because something's good for us, it doesn't mean its benefits are endless. And where we've got this much more commercial in media environment where we've got an abundance of negativity, you know, the landscape has changed so much in the last 30 years and the pace at which the news is being produced is accelerating. And because it's focusing on the negative, we come to think these problems are accelerating. And that leads to leaders coming in, you know, it extends into the political arena where people promise a restoration of the good old days. You've seen it with President Trump, you've seen it with Brexit, um, and people make decisions based on this inaccurate understanding of the world that it's getting worse. When in actual fact, when you look at so much data and so many statistics, you can see that we are measurably better off than our predecessors were over so many different global metrics. Um, but that's not the impression that we're given of the world. And, and so it's hugely disruptive in its own way by having this completely um, negative and distorted vision created for us by the news. Right. Yeah. Yep. You, what you're advocating for is for us to gain a, a fully dimensional view of the world while also focusing on the power of solutions-based journalism. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. So then what are the fourth, fifth, and sixth? Um, so the, I think I've done, have we done the fourth? No, maybe not. Oh, so the fourth, yeah, you're right, is be, be prepared to pay for content. You know, the news is valuable. When it's done well, it's really valuable. Um, and so it's recognizing that value because if we're not, um, if, you know, if we're not paying for media organizations to give us the news, then somebody else is. And more often than not, this is advertisers and this compromises the quality of the news. And it, it does interfere with editorial, even though in theory, it's not supposed to, because they've got the separation of church and state in practice, it does, especially because you've got growing um, news organizations practicing this thing called native advertising, which is kind of like camouflaged ads. They're made to look like news stories, but they're actually sponsored content. And although there is something to say it's sponsored, it's actually really difficult for a consumer to tell the difference between the two, which is why it's camouflaged to look like a news story. So, um, so, you know, for our, for our press to be independent, we have to, you know, we have to help it be independent. We have to be able to make it sustainable um, by its consumers, not by its advertisers. Yeah, <laughs> this uh, I, I remember doing research uh, on you, and I remember I first of all I'm 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 a fan of this idea, but I've also seen it get a lot of pushback because the the exact response is well, it's already separated, and why do I need to pay something or being behind the paywall? You're just 
you know, you're part of the machine now or you're becoming a capitalist or I can get it for free anyways. These are all just devil's advocate I'm just presenting to you. I guess my question then is, it seems like even beyond that, there, there needs to be a training of people, consumers, to understand that paying for the news is actually beneficial for them. Yeah, absolutely. And that feeds back to the very first point as to why it's the first one is to be conscious. a conscious consumer. You know, yeah. people do, you know, maybe I said it's not self-sacrificial, but maybe it is. You know, maybe you will have to part with some money in the process, um, but the benefits are proven and the rewards are worthwhile. And when people become aware of that, they will invest because they understand the value that it creates for their own lives, not just for the wider world. Okay. All right. Fifth point. Um, so the fifth point is to read beyond the news. Um, and it was one of your presidents, Thomas Jefferson, who said that the man who reads nothing at all is better educated than the man who reads nothing but newspapers. And and I'd have to agree, you know, we don't need to solely rely on news organizations to educate us on world issues. We, we live in such an information rich environment and there are plenty of other valuable sources. Like you said, you know, that documentary on Netflix, The Great Hack. It was incredibly well-researched, incredibly valuable, and hugely informative. Um, so, you know, that's not news in inverted commas, but it is um, providing us with, with very rich information. Books are another great way to, to stay informed and deep dive into issues. And I love um, TED Talks as well. I find that they are a great way to um, be introduced to problems as well as learn about some really courageous and inspirational people tackling them as well. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, read beyond the news, read wide and far. Uh, it's also, it's also in, uh, you know, helps with your thinking for sure. Um, what about the last point? So the last one, which is obviously my nearest and dearest, which is <laughs> <laughs> read solutions focused news. Um, and, you know, when we're talking about solutions focused news, it's it's usually got just as optimists have an unfair reputation. When you talk about solutions news, it has a hugely unfair reputation where people think that it's, um, you know, lighthearted, uplifting, entertaining, feel good stories, uh, which it's not. You know, it's much grittier than that. What we're talking about is rigorous journalism that reports critically on tangible progress being made in order for us to understand how issues are being dealt with. So we still learn about the problem, but we also learn about how these problems are being resolved, You know what people are doing in response to them. We ask what solutions are being put in place, and then we ask if they're working. So it's not about celebrating solutions. Uh, it's about reporting on them and showing that they're complex, powerful, um, but imperfect. You know, But they are relevant, and they're seriously valuable in helping us understand the world more fully. Yeah. Wow. No, I've got to say I'm a big fan of what you're doing, Jody. This is this is not um, <laughs> I'm sure this is going to ruffle a few feathers, but this is where we have to be. And and the, the way you wrote your your piece and I saw the, the commercial for the book, I think you did that. Was that 2018? And, and the book came out in 2000, just came out last this month. But you the video that you made. Yeah, it was actually in 2016. That was a summary of my research, which laid the foundations for this book. Okay, so this is why I brought that up. That's even even helping my point here. I, I, I'm trying to show the audience that you didn't just write this book; you researched this book, right? <laughs> so, so the the fact that I, that video came out well before you actually wrote the book is the point of what you're actually saying here with with everything. Is you have to we have to become well researched individuals as 
as someone that's a, as a researcher and campaigner, how did you decide that a book was the best path for you? Because those are different fields uh, of work. Mm. I think it was it was a natural progression. You know, I've been in this space for the last 10 years and I started by creating a website, um, which was a kind of aggregated news platform of what I considered to be solutions focused news stories, uh, mainly because of the imbalance that I felt that we had through the mainstream news. You know, I was I was a news junkie. I watched the news daily um, and I, I moved to someone who actually couldn't stand watching it at all. And, um, you know, when I stopped watching the news, people labeled my decision as naive, weak, ignorant and extreme. And they made me feel that I was at fault in some way. But I quickly realized um, that it wasn't actually me that was at fault. It was the news industry. And so when I then realized this, I found that it wasn't about not watching the news, but about consuming it in a different way. So I started looking for solutions focused news stories. And what I what I found when I started this was a huge network of people kind of doing the same thing completely independently of each other. And it made me realize this is a shared sentiment. You know, that I'm not the only person that's um, dissatisfied with the products and trying to look for different ways to consume the news. What happens if we collect all of us together? And when I did that, you know, I realized I was the only consumer. Everyone else was kind of from the industry themselves. And there was this kind of movement happening within the industry. And I was I was more concerned about what was happening to us as consumers. So I went back to university. I did a master's in positive psychology. I researched, you know, there's there's the centuries worth of research about the effects of the negativity bias. And there is so little research about what happens when we include solutions into our media diet. Um, so that's where my research began in terms of understanding that and, and finding people and you know, investigating them and doing experiments and finding out the impact that it has on us. And having created this journal, this academic piece of work, I thought, well, no one's going to read this. So then I, I put it into a poem and I summarized my research and that began to gain traction. And I found myself speaking um, in conferences and at different engagements and whether it was about our mental health or about our media environment. And I found that I wanted to find a way to bring this conversation to more people than just the audience I was in front of. And so I collated all of my work over the last 10 years and it took me two years to write um, and, and, and created it into a book so that every single person um, can know as much as I know on this. <laughs> I love it. I'm, you know, that's exactly what your piece read as, by the way, I'm, I'm a poet and I was, you were rhyming. I was like, is, she, is this a spoken word piece or... <laughs> Is this what's happened? What's happened here? And so I don't know. Have you always been into poetry? Um, no, that's my first. It, I I literally I came home. I I had an epiphany in the car. I love watching spoken word, but I've never tried it myself. And I came home to my husband, and I was like, I I I know how I need to package up my research. And he was like, Okay, cool. How? And I was like, I, I'm going to do a rap. And he was like, What? <laughs> what? Um, and luckily, it wasn't as embarrassing as it sounded when I first bought the idea. <laughs> no, it was definitely embarrassing. I'll make sure I put the link in the show notes. But um, I say all this to say there are the, the listeners of these audience, uh, they're aspiring change makers or active change makers. And they're looking to find ways to make an impact in the world. You know, the mission statement of what I do and the podcast is use your difference to make a difference. So it, it's, it's, it's really about what I want to show people is really to, sh to show them that, hey, look, you can have an idea, 
you can write it down, turn it into a video, build an audience around that, and then leverage that into a more informative way. Now, I'm sure you know you probably did, you weren't thinking initially that it could be a book initially, but you knew that you had to get right. Yeah, you knew that you had to get it out there, and that led you down the path of becoming a speaker and consultant and all these things. So, um, yeah, don't ever give up if you have an idea. Essentially. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I really think, you know, that, that old age saying success breeds success, that for me is one of the biggest reasons that we should tune into solutions because it's empowering. When you see people making change, when you see people against all odds in the most adverse conditions, be able to create something with their problem and create something um, constructive and actually build a solution around it that improves their, their condition and the condition of other people around them. It's contagious and it ignites a sense of your own possibility to see what you can do. Um, and it's a really, it's a really empowering narrative that we all need to be able to spark our own potential to realize what we can do with our resources, um, and to address the problems that we face on an individual level or even within our community. See, so how can uh, people find you and your work, Jody Jackson? So my book is available now in the US, which is really exciting. And it's becoming available in audiobook, I think, I think this week, but if not next week. Um, and it's available at Barnes & Noble, um, IndieBound, which has a load of independent booksellers and Amazon.com. And my website, youarewhatyouread.com, it has on it a starter kit. So if you are convinced about your need to increase your intake of solutions journalism and you're not quite sure where to go, if you head to my website, there's a starter kit, which will point you in um, the direction of a few places. But by all means, explore, find your own. And when you do, report back to me because I'd love to hear more as well. Awesome. I love that. Brilliant. We'll put that in the show notes and we'll make sure that it's available for everyone. Last question I have before I let you go is my mission statement reframed as a question. You've heard it multiple times now. It's called use your difference to make a difference. So how do you, Jody, use your difference to make a difference? I think my... My my difference was feeling incredibly anxious and depressed about the state of the world from hearing the news, um, which made me feel incredibly isolated and helpless. And I I kind of used that to channel my dissatisfaction or my um, overwhelm into something that was more constructive. And that's when I started searching for solutions journalism. And I thought, hey, this is just so incredible. I can't keep it to myself. Um, I need to share this with everybody. And mm -hmm. it's, you know, I, I hope that it does make a difference. It's a different, it's a working progress, make a difference, but it's growing and it is hopefully affecting change. I have no doubt that it is. And uh, thank you so much uh, for, for sharing the news and for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Uh, the pleasure is mine. And ladies, gentlemen, and gender non-binary individuals, till next time. Use your difference to make a difference. You've just been listening to the As Told by Nomads podcast. For more ways to reach out to Tayo and to use your difference to make a difference, head over to www.tayoroxon.com. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.